This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Switch to Sprint Unlimited Basic, featuring TV from Hulu and 500 megabytes of mobile hotspot. Plus, for a limited time, get five lines for only $120 per month. Hurry to a Sprint store or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Offer ends 8-16-18 after 131-2020. Pay $32 per month per line for five lines without a pay. One Hulu limited commercial plan for eligible Sprint account. MHS reduced to 3G speeds after 500 megabytes per month. Coverage and offer not available everywhere. Excludes taxes, fees, and roaming. Requires new lines. Subject to credit and three activation fee. Video streams up to 480p. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Fence Sider with the PH. Thank you, Ryan, for that wonderful lead in. Hopefully, you can throw some deep balls to Mike Wallace while he's still on the team. <clears throat> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Insider Radio. Happy Thursday, 26th of February, 2015. My name is Keith, and I'll be your host for the next 90 minutes. We're live until roughly 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 Central, which is where I am located. Tonight, we have a special treat, and I am joined by a guest host, someone who is a good friend of the show, Lewis. Twitter knows him as Floridian Sports Debater. We know him as Lewis. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right, Keith. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're glad you're here, too. Uh, is it cold down there? Uh, not anymore. It kind of flip-flops back and forth from day to day. It's cold up here. It's awful up here, actually. <clears throat> I had this joke prepared where I was going to say I uh, I recently saw people riding to work on tauntauns, you know, those smelly <laughs> things from uh, Empire Strikes Back. I remember. Yeah. I wasn't sure if anyone would get the reference, though. I can't have myself sounding any more stupid than I currently do. I, of course, rode to work on a Wampa. So, all right. And uh, we're also joined by my good friend and fellow Finsider analyst, Duke. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I am serving as the show's producer this evening. Uh, James is unable to make the show. I wish I could give you an interesting reason for his absence, like he's in jail or something, but he's actually just working tonight. So he'll be back. On tonight's show, we talk Mike Wallace, friend or foe, and how the Dolphins right to shop him. That's a story that's going on, and it's not going to go away anytime soon, judging from uh, a lot of responses I saw on Twitter this afternoon. We'll also talk aftermath regarding last weekend's NFL Combine. Some players have become mock draft darlings as a result of their performance in Indianapolis. Excuse me. Uh, 
so we'll discuss whether any of these players are going to end up in aqua and orange, especially the uh, the hyped-up variety right now. And what I'd also like to get into the prospects Dolphins should consider avoiding this spring. And if we have time, we'll chat about the upcoming free agency period, which is really something we should discuss before the draft, as oftentimes that that period is going to dictate what you're looking for in the draft. So we'll touch so on both. We'll hear coming. what these guys did. Yes. And then uh, <clears throat> let's see here. Boy, I'm trying a new headset tonight. I am all over the place. No oh. worries, man. Everybody got to learn from something. Start somewhere. Yeah. Sure. Uh, last but not least, you can give us a call at 347-326-9461, and we'll talk about whatever it is you want to discuss. You name it, we're typically game. So as I mentioned, the first thing on, on top of uh, of tonight's docket is the fact that it came out, well, the, I saw it this morning, because uh, I'm late to everything, that the, the Dolphins are actively shopping Mike Wallace I didn't have my phone on me for much of yesterday, so I missed out on any sort of rumors going on there. And as I had pretty much expected, the the response from Dolphins fans has been divided into two camps. Those people who remember what it was like in 2012 when we didn't have a deep threat, and people who, the other side of it, is people who think that Wallace is overpaid, overrated, and uh, overdue for a ride out of town, I guess. So I'd like to hear where you guys are on this uh, on the spectrum here. You want me to start? Yeah, go for it. All right. Okay. The the way I see it at this point is these these people, the, the two camps that you have mentioned. Oftentimes, there's another way to categorize these two camps. Camps are the ones who are on Wallace's side and the ones who are on Tannehill's side. That's all. That's more. That's most commonly what's going on here. Montana Hill side are saying that Wallace is no good. Those are the ones that are saying he's overpaid. He's not worth it, and he can't catch any deep deep balls. And that's why that's the problem with Tannehill's deep ball. The ones who are on Wallace's side are saying Tannehill can't throw the deep ball. He's not a good quarterback, and we need to find a new quarterback. Those are the ones that want to keep Wallace. That's most commonly the situation. I am somewhere in the middle of this. I understand it's Tannehill is not particularly accurate. I can admit that much, but he's not terrible either because he seems to be able to hit with anybody who's not named Wallace and Wallace is important to the offense for the simple fact that he takes away a safety from the box because we saw in the last half of the Jets game before the season ended, when all that drama happened, that suddenly the defense was able to crowd the box and Tannehill had a hard time getting things to happen because there were too many defenders not worried about a deep threat of any kind. So you see the value that Wallace has just by being on the field. The problem is that he has this – this is the thing. There are two different – again, there's two different things now. With Wallace, there's the report that says Wallace just wants to win and he's tired of keeping his mouth shut. And then there's the one that says that Wallace did not appreciate getting targeted less than Jarvis Landry. So, again, you have to pick a side in the report. And either way, it's not necessarily a great uh, circumstance. You see how well, much well, mess – well, go ahead. I was going to say, if, if Wallace wants to be targeted uh, as often as Jarvis Landry, I, I would advise not giving up on the football, which is uh, a big complaint that you're seeing from the – as you put it, the – 
the the Ryan Tannehill camp. We'll we'll say the anti Mike Wallace camp just for clarity's sake. But you, you talk about these people who, or uh, these people have come out and said that. Well, how often have you seen Mike Wallace give up on the deep ball because he doesn't think that it's on the money, or he doesn't think that he's going to be able to get to it, which is ridiculous for someone of his speed. And then and he's just a, a a quitter. He doesn't fight for the football. How many times have we seen him where the Dolphins have more or less put him in a position where he needs to go up and get the ball, and it's almost like he's not even interested in fighting for it. Yes, but then you see him make this, like, Julian effort. I think it was against the Vikings where he fights off a defender, catches the ball in midair after it's been tipped, and then he dives into the end zone. So it's like, okay, where did that come from? So it's, exactly. it's like he, he, it's almost like he plays bipolar. It's like there's the Wallace that we wish we could have seen all the time, the one that fights for the football, and then there's the one that's complaining about not getting a perfect deep pass every time. So you're kind of rolling the dice on which Wallace you're going to get from game to game. And ultimately, however you cut it, it's, that effort's not worth nine million dollars a year. So well, and I, well, I don't know. Can can we say that picking up someone else who might be cheaper is going to cause defenses to respect the the offense that much? Because I mean, I can see what would happen if we did Tory Smith or something like that, but I don't know if Tory Smith is actually going to make it out of Baltimore. They may find a way to keep him because they like to sign their own guys, and they recently called out the Wallace deal saying that it was a bad idea to begin with. Uh, so thank you, owners, Ravens owner. I don't even know his name. Steve Steve Barucci, I think I want to call it. Bishotti. Okay, thank you. So you got to look at it like that. Can, who is out there that often the defenses would respect? The way that they do Wallace. I mean, we can we people will call out Wallace and say, "Oh, he gives up on the ball and he can't catch it. He doesn't he doesn't track the ball well." Nevertheless, defenses play differently when he's on the field, and they crowd Tannehill when he's off the field. So that does make an impact. Duke, uh, do you think that the Dolphins can find a similar Wallace effect with Philip Dorsett sooner rather than later if they draft him? Oh, absolutely. I mean, how many teams out there have? Mike Wallace's speed that can still produce explosive plays. You know, there's plenty of them out there that can do it. <clears throat> it's just a matter of, um, you know, I, I mean, I think I think what what you said earlier kind of kind of hit hit on it a little bit is a lot of these fans are remembering 2012 and thinking if we get rid of Wallace, we're going to go back to the Stone Age again and you know, they're saying we got to keep Wallace because of that. But it was almost like at that time the Dolphins were like, we need we need to add speed, so let's go find the absolute fastest human being in the NFL and put him out there. But you don't need to have Mike Wallace speed to be effective. You just got to have speed, and you can find that in the draft. Now, in terms of what Lewis was talking about, I agree that there are two camps there, but with the Tannehill thing, but. My thoughts on Wallace are a lot of these fans are are saying he was brought in to be this explosive deep threat and make big plays. But if you look at his numbers from his time in Pittsburgh and his time in Miami, they are eerily similar. He's scoring about the same amount of touchdowns per year as he did in Pittsburgh. He's only averaging, averaging less yardage 
but he's only averaging like eight yards less a game. So, I mean, he's still getting similar numbers. The, the question is, do fans expect him to have more numbers than that? And my argument against that would be, well, he'd have Ben Roethlisberger, who was a better quarterback, better at throwing the deep ball, can extend the play better than Tannehill can. Um, Mike Wallace was purely a deep threat there. He was not asked to run all these additional routes that he's being asked to run in Miami. And he still only got 10 touchdowns. He still only put up, you know, a little bit of, you know, not the kind of yardage you expect for the price tag that he's getting. Another argument that you see with the Wallace camp is that, well, his speed takes the top off the, the it takes the top off the defense. You have to have a safety in the box and all that stuff. Well, you can find that guy, but if that's all you're going to use Mike Wallace for, then he's being he's way overpaid for that. I mean, you don't need you don't need a twelve million dollar a year receiver just to run deep routes. Honestly, if that's all you're going to use him for is just to take the top off of a defense, find Ted Ginn. Sign him for three or four million dollars and let him do that. I'll, okay, I'll but here's Wallace, the, here. Well, wait a minute. I'll wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a second. I mean, Wallace is a better receiver than Ginn, obviously. But my point is, in my opinion, for what they're paying Wallace to do, he needs to do be more of a complete receiver. He needs to be fighting for those those you know those contested passes. I was looking at you know you're talking about the Vikings game. There was a play at the very end of the game, and it worked out in Miami's favor because Xavier Rhodes grabbed Wallace around the neck or around the shoulder pads. But it was third down and ten, third down and something. Uh, it's we're inside the twenty. They run a play, and it's basically a fade route to the corner of the end zone to Mike Wallace. And it, like I said, it worked out because of the penalty. But my first thought after rewatching it a number of times is, why do you even call that route? He's not going to go up for that ball. That's not his forte. And I've seen a lot of arguments on the Finn side that say, well, we know that's not his forte. We're, you know, that's not his game. Well, then my response is, why, why, do you, why are you paying $12 million a year? I mean, if you're going to get $12 million a year, you need to be doing stuff like that, in my opinion. I can agree with that. But, here's, but he, like, you mentioned it. He He's a better receiver than Ted Ginn or someone else like that. And the thing I have with Philip Dorsett is, yeah, he's fast, but he's also a rookie. He's unproven. We we know he's fast. We get that. I understand that. But what I didn't watch him in college. Can Dorsett do the things that we wanted Wallace to do while he was while he's here or while he may still be here and we don't know about it because, quite honestly, anything is up in the air at this point. Does Dorsett bring more to the table than Wallace? Uh, I'm going to say say yes because I'm a fan, but here was my point on that, though, is these fans are saying we want Mike Wallace just to run deep routes. And I've had this argument on the side. They say we just want Mike Mike Wallace supposed to be running deep routes. He's supposed to be getting up and deep and making all these big plays. And my response is twofold. It's like what kind of numbers are you expecting to get from him when he did that essentially in Pittsburgh and he's putting up kind of similar numbers, and if that's all you're wanting him to do, why not find a cheaper guy to do exactly that? And so my point with saying that is not that Ted Ginn could replace Mike Wallace, is that for what fans, some of these fans are wanting Mike Wallace to do, you can find somebody a lot cheaper to just run the deep routes. You know, I think they want Mike Wallace to do more than that. They want him to, you know, if you look at his 10 touchdowns, only one of them was outside of 20 yards. 
they were all within the that you know the twenty yard inside the red zone there. So I mean, I don't know. It's like they were asking, you know. I think several of the beat writers were saying they were asking to become a possession receiver, which he was running those routes. But I'm like, you know, you're getting paid twelve million dollars a year. You need to run all of those routes, not just the deep ones and all of that other stuff. And I think well, he did. He did run, think, them, but yeah. Go ahead, Keith. I think the one of the things that you hit on is, I think it becomes this idea is that because he does get open a lot deep, <laughs> and that there's been struggles hitting them, that it's kind of like, I don't know, that it's Tannehill's fault because they're not they're not connecting, and Tannehill, if he was more accurate, but I don't know, I just don't see that you could take the most accurate deep ball quarterback out there. And I just don't think Michael Wallace is going to be a 20 touchdown a year guy or a 16 touchdown a year guy. I think he's kind of where he is. He's going to be at most 10, 11 touchdowns at best. He's going to be kind of the same kind of numbers, maybe 1,200 yards on a good year. I just don't see him being more than that with any quarterback. And that's, in my opinion, it's not worth, worth what he's being paid. Now, should they get rid of him? You know, I don't know, but I've been on the I've been on the bandwagon of they need to find they need to draft receivers and find replacements whether they keep them this year or not. So I'm 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 down with you know replacing pretty much all of them except Landry. Okay, well you you uh, let's let's talk about the money, and this is why I feel like we need to keep him one more year simply because of the finances of the issue. If we keep if we cut him now or trade him now or whatever, we only save about six million and we get five million dollars in dead money or something like that. That's an average, just off the top of my head. If we cut him next season, we save nine million in cap and only one million in debt. That's a pretty big ratio and a big difference. For that kind of a money difference and for the sake of the fact that Wallace's presence does make things better, I would keep them on for one more year, make them play nice, as Omar would say. I don't care how you make it. I don't know. I don't care how you do it, but find a way to keep him. He's still under contract. In all honesty, if they wanted to make him stay, they could make him stay. So the the problem is the coaches don't seem to want him around, and that to me is a problem. It's We're back to the whole attitude, and Philbin doesn't like attitude, and so we don't want him around. That's an issue to me. Wallace – in all honesty, is obligated to stay until we tell him that he's out of here. Getting rid of him, to me, is a very stupid move, not just for the playing standpoint, but also in the money standpoint, because uh, $5 million dead money and $6 million cap saving is way worse than $1 million dead money and $9 million in cap saving. That's a huge difference, and I'd be willing to keep him around for one more year, if only to make sure we save that money and keep the dead money from getting to him. A couple things on that that you just you just mentioned that I want to go ahead and sort of uh, expand on. And number one is the fact that you said play nice for a year. Having the Dolphins sort of gone down the path of no return here by openly shopping him, if those reports are indeed true. I mean, this is a guy that was pouting after his first game with the Dolphins because he wasn't targeted enough. So if that's if that's the case, and the Dolphins are actively shopping him and they decide that they want to take the route next year with the $1 million in, uh, in dead money, as opposed to, um, a much larger amount this year. Uh, how is less cap, how do they, 
how do they plan on uh, making it work with this guy for one more year? Just play. And look, the way I here's another thing that I talk about, and this is something else that needs to be addressed. If Tannehill has more time to throw the football, then it's possible that we could get to that point where the progression can be made to go deep. We know that Bill Lader's offense is a dink and dunk kind of system. Find, go through your progressions, find the first guy that, that works, and just get it there. The deep ball is like, it seems to be like it's the last thing on the list all the time. So by the time by the time is around to looking at Wallace, uh, he's already on his way down because the offensive line can't protect him, or he found someone else first and he got it there. That's a lot. That's that's something that people are saying is a bad decision. But uh, I was on I was on the Finsider with an F earlier uh, this earlier this afternoon on the on the comment center, and I was having an argument with this guy who was saying that Tannehill is average because he makes bad decisions. He doesn't go deep when Wallace is open all the time, and Tristan. Tristan Jones and I were both explaining to this guy, this that's not how Lazer's offense works. You go through your progressions and you find the first guy that's open. It's not a matter of, oh, this guy's open, but wait, let me go see if Wallace is open to go deep. It's not that's not how the offense works. That's not how Tannehill's being trained. So how can you expect him to ignore everything that he's being taught for the sake of maybe I can hit the home run right here? He's gonna do what he's taught. He's not gonna go against everything that they've been hammering into his head for the past year and a half. That's not. That's just not how it works. That's not Lazer's offense, and people are getting upset for the fact that Tannehill is being told, is doing what he's told. No doubt about that. Uh, one thing I want to get back to, uh, well, first of all, I want to mention that we're, we're taking live calls right now. If you want to chat in, you want to get in on any of this uh, that we're talking about right now, or you want to go ahead and bring up a different topic, 347-326-9461. We're on until about uh, 10.30 Eastern somewhere around there. Uh, just one more thing on Philip Dorsett, because you asked for a sort of comparison between those two. And what I can really offer you is this, that the big difference between Mike Wallace and Philip Dorsett is size. Because Mike Wallace is about six foot, whereas I think Philip Dorsett runs about five nine. I mean, he's not a large individual. But what you get with Philip Dorsett that you don't get with Mike Wallace is Philip Dorsett is an excellent route runner. Just outstanding. I would compare him to uh, Brandon Cooks last year out of Oregon State. You know, which is a, a nice. I mean, Brandon Cooks is a little bit thicker of an individual than than Dorsett, but these blazing fast guys who happen to just have an ability to dice the route tree. Those guys have it. So that's the what you're getting in return. But the one thing you brought up is that Dorsett's an unproven commodity, whereas you know what you're getting with Wallace. In addition to the, the malcontent behavior, you're getting a guy who does take the top off the defense. You're getting a guy who stretches the defense, whether they whether they or not they like it. It's going to happen. Now, my issue with Mike Wallace, and it has been really, I saw, I well, actually, I'd like to preface this by saying we were all thrilled when the Dolphins signed Mike Wallace two years ago, correct? Correct. Yeah. I know Duke, I know Duke was. Lewis, how did you feel about it? I felt I felt excited that we were moving forward and trying to get a number one receiver because I was on the I was in the camp of yes finally a deep threat we can stop with the Mike Sherman vanilla offense we can make things happen. Little did I know that 
Wallace was a malcontent and Wallace was going to wind up not working out with Tannehill, I mean, that was a shocker to everybody. We thought that this was going to be something great, and it turned out to be something awful, depending on how you look at it. I mean, uh, Wallace's no, yeah, presence no, makes no Blazers often. No one's faulting you. We all, we all felt the same way. We were all excited about it. And to be honest with you, he's still a great weapon on this team. But one thing right. I do brought up that, that I do agree with is uh, people can go ahead and dog Ryan Tannehill for his, his inability to land the deep ball consistently. But there are times where when I just watch Mike Wallace go for the ball and I think you could have Warren Moon throwing him to the ball. Warren Moon, in my opinion, the best deep ball thrower in the history of the NFL. Throw that out there every day. I believe that. I watched him play. I haven't seen anyone else. I've seen guys come close, but I haven't seen anyone throw the deep ball like that guy. Not even I damn it. after the game and telling the media to, to ask coach, is that I worry that he's a quarterback killer. For as good it is as, for as... Yeah, it, it's great that he brings all that ability to the team. It's outstanding, and it's a weapon that, well, you can put a price on it, $12 million. But there are times where I think that as much of a weapon as he is, he's hurting our quarterback. There are times I worry about that. Because the one... I mean, he. You saw it last year, and I understand that Jarvis Landry, Landry isn't running the nine route like uh, Mike Wallace, but Jarvis Landry and Ryan Tannehill hooked up right off the bat. It's like those guys were just, I mean, it's like one, you had one as the left side of the brain, one was the right side of the brain. Those guys got along famously right off the bat. And there are times where you watch Tannehill throw at Wallace, and it looks good, but you never feel like, oh, that chemistry is there. These guys are killing it. So moving forward, my big my big argument with Mike Wallace is that I don't think he's done enough to support his quarterback. I feel like all the questions people have about Ryan Tannehill are involved Mike Wallace or what Mike Wallace is doing. I don't hear the the questions yeah. elsewhere. All the stuff that we yeah. heard about Ryan Tannehill when he came into the league, uh, we didn't like the footwork, or I should say uh, the experts didn't like the footwork. Uh, people weren't thrilled about his ability to throw up in the middle. His out routes are great. People questioned his ability to throw the crossing stuff, the timing stuff over the middle. Uh, I mean, and we've seen improvements in, in all areas. His, foot, his footwork is just night and day compared to when he came into the league in 2012. But we've seen how he throws over the middle. And, I mean, there's he's fit balls into windows that just, I mean, boggle the mind. So he's gotten that. The questions that remain with Ryan Tannehill all involve the, what Mike Wallace is doing. And I understand that that's not, that's not something where you pass the buck and say, well, I think that's something that Wallace needs to figure out. But it bothers me that it seems, this seems to be the only wide receiver relationship that Tannehill hasn't solved thus far. So that's just something. Again, I'm not saying that that's, that's justification for moving on from this guy or, or upsetting him and telling the press that you're, you're shopping him or moving him when free agency begins. I'm not advocating any of that. I'm just saying that I get both sides of, the, of this argument going forward, and both sides have le- legitimate points. Here's what I would add, add to some of the stuff you were saying there. Number one is that we know from tweets from beat writers and so on and so forth that during the pregame, Brian Hartline is out there with Tannehill running routes. And I know you and I, keep discussed on the side a few years ago 
people were saying, well, Ryan Tannehill doesn't throw with anticipation. Yet there was a YouTube video we watched where um, Ryan Tannehill was looking downfield, I think it was against the Raiders uh, in his first, his rookie season, and he throws this one pass before Brian Hartline's even out of his break. Perfect pass with anticipation. Again, that comes from that repetition before See the same thing with Jarvis Landry. You don't ever hear about Wallace being out there. Now, I mean, I don't know how other quarterbacks do, but it seems to me that the guys that have the chemistry are the guys that work with their, you know, the guys that work with their quarterbacks and go out there and do that stuff. And I think that's part of it. Like you said, Brian Tannehill's throwing to Jarvis Landry or throwing to um, throwing to Brian Hartline, and he, he knows where they're going to be. He trusts that he can make those good passes, and it looks great. Whereas with Wallace, sometimes it looks great, sometimes it looks forced. And I think that's part of it. People talk about Wallace having a great work ethic because he's out there on the jugs machine. But in my opinion, he's going to be out there pre-game running those routes. Let Tannehill know this is, you know, when you run this route, this is where you're going to be kind of stuff. The other thing is, I think fans are worried that if they get rid of Mike Wallace, it's going to be like 2012 in the sense of they got rid of the playmaker and didn't replace him. Now, that, I would be upset with that. Even though I'm not a huge fan of Wallace, I would be upset if they didn't try to do something to replace it. As far as I think they can find a guy, even if it's not a proven guy, you can find a guy like Dorsett or one of these guys in the draft that's fast that can take the top off of a defense. I mean, you can find that guy if you're needing that. But most importantly, I think this is the deal, is, is that the Dolphins, in my opinion, have just done the wrong thing by trying to get any expensive free agents and force them to work with Ryan Tannehill Whereas you saw kind of what happened with Landry where it came in and it worked. I think they need to draft guys, and they should have been doing this since 2012, drafting guys that Tannehill can develop with and that, you know, will work with Tannehill, not these high-paid guys who are like, well, I'm getting my money, I'm going to do what I want to do kind of thing. And I think that's where they've messed up. And, I mean, you you saw what the Colts did with Andrew Luck, the first draft. They drafted two tight ends. T.Y. Hilton, they went with guys, and you, you see how it works now. Works, you know, Luck had kind of similar numbers to Tannehill in the first few years. He had more yardage, but I mean, touchdowns, interceptions, kind of passer rate, uh, not passer rating, but uh, completion percentage, that kind of stuff. And now in year three, you know, Andrew Luck took off, but he's worked with these guys. He, you know, they, they developed this. And when you bring in free agents, a lot of times it doesn't work. And so that's why I'm such a big advocate. Go ahead and get these guys in the draft. Get these hard-working guys. One guy that I've, uh, besides the door set that I really like is Jalen Strong. One thing I read about him, um, and we'll go into this more, I guess, when we go to combine talk, but one thing I read about him was that he studied defensive playbooks as well as his own playbooks so that he would, he would, he would find out what defenses were being ran when they ran certain looks on offense so he would know how to, so he would know how to, um, beat that defense. And that that's just stuck with me because I thought that's a guy who wants to be great. I read that Jarvis Landry is out in California, I believe, or somewhere working out because he, he wants to work on his explosion. He wants to prove he can be an outside receiver, not just a slot guy. That's what you want. I want a guy that's driven to succeed. I want a guy that's going to work hard all the time. And I want to, you know, and you need these guys to develop as a quarterback. And I, just, I don't know. I just think that the Dolphins have kind of done Tannehill wrong in that sense by year one taking away 
the best playmaker they had, giving him kind of a, a, a very weak core. And then instead of addressing things in the draft, going through with free agency and trying to build that way. Um, I don't know. So I'm hoping they change that this year. I talk about injustices, Duke. How about the fact that he more than any other quarterback for the past three seasons? That's from that to me is more of an injustice than any kind of receiver trouble that we may have given him without the free agent stuff. First, give us protection. Then let's talk about the weapons. <laughs> well, and see, that's part well, of what I was talking about on the Finsider today was that, you know, in my opinion, looking at this draft, there are so many good receivers at the top of the draft, and it's pretty deep receiver class too. I think it would be now, and Keith, you and I have watched tape of Brandon Scherf. Okay, we we sat there and watched some videos of him and laughed at just how, just how ridiculous he was destroying these helpless defenders. And if they drafted him at fourteen, I mean, he would instantly make that offensive line better. I mean, um, Lamar Miller might average seven yards a carry behind that guy. He he's going to be an instant upgrade on the offensive line. He's going to help out. But as much as I like him. I think that's a waste of resources to go after a guy like that when you can probably find a decent guard in free agency, pay a little more money, but I'd rather pay money to those guys in free agency, at least for this year. You know, find Orlando Franklin or Clint Bowling or whoever. Get those guys, address your address the lines through free agency, and use the draft to build your playmakers because those are the expensive guys to find. I mean, we're having this whole debate about Mike Wallace, Mainly because, I mean, nobody was having this discussion with Mike Wallace. He was making $6 million a year. You know, but he's making $12 million, and people are like, ah, should we get rid of him? What are we going to do? So, you know, pay the guard $8 million a year, even though it might be overpaying, draft your receivers, and not the other way around. I want to make one more point. point. Go ahead. Point about, I was going to say I want to make one more point about Wallace, and then I'd like to move on <laughs> to the uh, – the combine and the receivers in particular, because I feel like a uh, uh, generous, uh, generous amount of Dolphins fans were were keying in on the wide receiver workout, seeing what was going to happen there. I know I was. That was the thing I was most interested in this weekend. Uh, the one thing I want to say about Wallace is, uh, regardless of what the Dolphins do, this is an important season coming up here, and that this is year two of Laser and Tannehill. And this is going to define a lot of things. I've seen an idea, and I, I have to say that if if, uh, if it comes to this and it's an option, I'm likely going to get behind it. But if if the Dolphins move on from Joe Philbin, do they consider Bill Lazor as head coach? And that's something where if if this season progresses the way I think it will, and those guys continue to show. The, the sort of relationship that really, in my opinion, blossomed throughout 2014. If we see that continue this year, yeah, I'm all for that because I think that that's an important dynamic. Like you, and I, I'm sorry for the comparison here, but you hear people talk about Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers, and I'd like to have a quarterback and a head coach who have that kind of relationship. I don't see Tannehill ever having that kind of relationship with Joe Philbin. I do see it with Bill Lazor. You can you can just tell how those guys really uh, work off each other in terms of in terms of coaching quarterback. So that's important. So so I don't want the reason I I mentioned Wallace in the same breath is I don't want him to ruin what could be a, an incredibly crucial year between those two. I don't suspect that'll be the case, but that's something that I've had in the back of my mind. 
Well, I'd like to move on to the the receiver part that I, I mentioned previously, and I got something up on Twitter. I didn't really understand the the first part what he brought up, but I certainly understand the second part. It's uh, Zach who I I speak with often on Twitter, and he mentions Par- Parker Strong and Doriel Green Beckham, who are obviously some of the the big name receivers, first round receivers, we'll say in this draft. Uh, I have a couple of questions with these guys that I'll I'd like to ask you. Number one because I know I have an idea what, what Duke will say. I'd like to hear what Lewis says. Jalen Strong is getting a lot of attention as a result of his combine. Because you look at his tape, and I, I mean, I hate to pardon the term, but he plays like a bully in the red zone. The guy is, is just an abs, absolute bull in a china shop. But he, he's dominant in the red zone. And his ability with back shoulder throws is outstanding. The, the guy is just a force. We just watch him play this year in the red zone. He was, he was awesome. He, he caught my attention early on. He goes to the combine. He runs well. I think he ran the four fours, just, just off the top of my head. Four, four, which four. Is, yeah. So he he puts that up there, and I mean, it's not like you you think like oh, I'm not really too into this guy, and then you see that he's running a four four four, and you think, all right, now I'm all about him. It it should not come to that. I mean, you hear that cliche, but it's true that you just want it to support what you see on on film, and I mean, that's a faster time than what I saw from him on film, but I, I didn't need a 4-4-4 four, four, four to tell me that that guy would be a great fit in Miami's offense. So the question I have with him is, if they take him at number 14, are you okay with that? <sighs> it's tough, because I know that we have other priorities that need to be taken care of, and Jalen yeah. Strong, while he has all these positives working in his favor, he hasn't been touted as one of the guys. He's not uh, Amari Cooper. He's not Kevin White. He's not um, Devontae Parker, and he's not one of those guys. He's one of the guys that we that people were saying would be a high second, maybe even a late first, but he's not one of the top guys. So I guess if you love him, like – Dennis Hickey went up and he well he didn't go up he was he was there he he got he picked Jawan James and every everyone else who was in every other Dolphin fan except for a very choice few were like who the heck is Jawan James and why are we picking him at uh, uh wherever it was that we picked him I forget was it nineteen it was nineteen overall yeah we picked we picked him nineteenth overall he was like he was like one of the he was like the only prospect who was not in the building to take a picture with Roger Goodell. So it's like, who is Jawan James? And I guess it turned out to be a pretty good pick. So if Hickey sees something in Jalen Strong that the rest of us don't, the rest of the world doesn't, then by all means, let's pick him. At this point, I've learned to trust Dennis Hickey and his evaluations because even the guys who didn't play in their first year, you can see that they have a lot of potential with maybe the exception of Arthur Lynch. I really don't know what's up with him. But, I mean, Matt Hazel, you see potential. Walt Aikens, you see potential at safety. Billy Turner, we're going to expect him to start uh, next season. Uh, Terrence Fade, you saw potential. He made things happen. Uh, undrafted free agents, Damian Williams, I think he can become a Darren Sproles type in the offense, like um, like a catch-out-of-the-backfield kind of guy. Chris McCain, we want him in the off- on, in the defense because he has he, he flashed ridiculously well in the first game. So, like, with the exception of Lynch, there's nobody that Hickey has picked up on the open market that you thought there's no way he's going to make anything happen. Even the guys who got hurt, you kind of expected them to do something, and they did while they were healthy. 
there was no actual busts in Hickey's moves other than they got hurt. So I've learned to trust what Hickey does. So if Hickey decides he wants to pick Jalen Strong at 14, I guess I'd be okay with it. Yeah, the one thing you brought up there, and I'm glad you mentioned Juwan James because it's a it's an absolute absolutely similar uh, comparison to say that if he takes Jalen Strong at 14, it is like taking Juwan James at 19. And I didn't really think about it at the time when because I suspected as we got close to that that number 19 pick last year, I kind of felt that Hickey was going to take him. I know that there was a lot of buzz that day about the Dolphins really being into Juwan James and whatnot. The thing, looking back on it, the thing I love about that pick is that Dennis Hickey is ruthlessly true to his board because that's not a pick you make otherwise. It's just not. And I know it had some people, well, a lot of people screaming uh, a reach, just an insane reach at that point. But the thing is that Dennis Hickey realized that the Dolphins needed a premier right tackle. He found this guy at number 19. The guy's not in the building. Who knows where he could have gotten him in the first round? I don't know. Or maybe somebody in the first round drafts him and we don't know about it. Or we're unaware that he was that high on their board. But he saw the right tackle he wanted, and he got him. He was true to himself. He was true to his board, and it worked out, even though a lot of people bitched about it. And I mean, and I, and I, and I understood, understand and understood at the time their concern there. But that makes me think that if he thinks that Jalen Strong is the guy who takes Ryan Tannehill from the tier he's at now and takes him to the next one, then I, I, I'm i inclined to think that he's going to make that pick. That's not a, a really popular thing if you look on Twitter right now. There's, it's, you know, we have camps with Mike Wallace, people who like him, people who don't. The same with, is with Jalen Strong at number 14. Jalen Strong's not a pick at number 14, according to one camp. The other one says, that guy is the, the unsung receiver in this draft, and he's going to make serious waves. I'm a fan of him. Well, I know that much. Well, you, you, you know what I'm going to say. I would, if he was there at 14, excuse me. Let's assume he's that the other three receivers are taken because I, I mean I think you might take one of those guys over over strong. But let's say they're taken. I would and agree. He's there at 14. I'll I, I, I run to the board and say Jalen Strong. And i tell you what, what really sold it for me, and I've watched some tape, and I've I, I talked to some dudes on Twitter that I that I would trust their evaluation. And, you know, there, some of them are undecided. Some of them say that he's, you know, he's got some issues. Some say they really like him. So <laughs> I've watched a little tape of him, and you're right. He's an absolute beast in the red zone. And here's what sold it for me. Uh, he had a 42-inch vertical. That's just unreal. That's basically Ryan Tannehill saying, you know what, I don't care how bad the offensive line is, I don't care what defense they're running, I'm just going to throw the ball in the air somewhere in the general vicinity of that guy, and he's just going to jump out of the gym and get it. And so I like that. The 4-4-4 was great because it shows he does have some deep speed and can can do that. A lot of stuff I've read about him says he's good after the catch, which is important because we run a lot of these short routes that get after the catch, but – as far as he's 14, I have, have no problem drafting him at 14. Um, you know, because who knows that the team right behind you may, not, may want that same guy. Or they may trade up. Let's say you're thinking, well, I'm, let's say, you know, Miami trades it down. That would be nice to get him in a trade down. But what happens if, uh, you know, Seattle really likes him? 
and they jump over you to get him, and then you're kind of stuck. So, in my opinion, I'm I'm kind of like, you know, he's your guy. You know, like I said, if he's your guy, go get him. But from what I've seen, especially with the work ethic, you know, you see Jarvis Landry as a guy who I think he's I think he's already a leader in the locker room or going to be at least in the wide receiver group. He is a guy that, that the other guys are going to feed off of, his drive, his determination. And that's kind of what I've read about with, with Jalen Strong. Basically, he's the first guy in, last guy out kind of guy. And I think that he is – uh, you know, you you put them two together, they're gonna they're gonna feed off each other. They're gonna drive each other to greatness. And then, of course, if I had my way with it, I would get Philip Dorsett right after that, and you're set. Just you are you are Tannehill, certainly let, set. Let Tannehill yeah. sit back and yeah, let Tannehill sit back and just smile because he's gonna be, you know, enjoying those receivers for years to come. Well, isn't that what you yeah, want to see too? The, the the team making picks like that that putting their quarterback in a position to raise up, giving him that sort of young talent that will build around him? Because, I mean, he's still a youngster too, really. So the one thing, and I want to get Lewis's thoughts on a few things here, uh, I do think that Strong's work ethic is going to be a high-selling point to the Dolphins. I mean, if they liked Jarvis Landry, who Jarvis Landry is an absolute uh, gym rat too when it comes to that kind of stuff. I mean, he, he trains, he studies, he... I mean, that guy is prepared. I think that's actually the word I would use for these guys. The Dolphins <laughs> want these receivers who are prepared. And we're, if we're talking about the, the range of where receivers will go in the first round, uh, you, we're hearing that Jalen Strong's the guy you could trade, trade down for. I'm starting to think that he could go in a range from us at 14 to I think Cleveland's at 19 this year. And then I think you've got San Francisco at 15 looking for a receiver too. And that could turn into a real gauntlet for the, the non-Cooper, uh, Parker uh, receiver receivers out there. White's already gone. I, uh, Lewis and I were talking before the show about how we assume that guy's going to Oakland, and that's that. So the on top of that, what I wanted to bring up to you guys, I'll let Lewis start. What about Doriel Green Beckham? Oh, uh, why well, have to bring him up, man? I, I, uh, well, like we said the last, the last time I came on the show, it, it, I the thing with Beckham, the Green Beckham is he could potentially be the best wide receiver that's available in the draft just with his measurements. I mean, six five, he ran a four five or better, I think. So it was like four four nine or something, and he's six five. So yeah. it's like you you've got this monster on one side on the side on the sidelines running deep routes or whatever kind of route you want him to run I guess or even maybe just don't even run a route play like it's the backyard uh, draw a route on his back and you tell him to go and he's gonna throw it up and get it so and he could probably do it for you but man it's dangerous I know and even if, and even if and and even if we were gonna ignore that. Can we really say that Philbin is going to be okay with bringing in somebody like that? Somebody with uh, domestic violence issues, somebody with, uh, I think he was, I think the story was he got caught with a bag of weed in his car. Um, you you name it, and he's apparently done it. He's supposedly moving on. He's behaved himself ever since then, but it's still risky. 
And Philbin didn't even like having Richie Incognito in the building. And he didn't. And as bad as he is, he didn't. He didn't get caught with the domestic violence and the weed and the stuff like that. I mean, he's done bad stuff, but just that stuff enough was enough to make Philbin tell him to get out. So would we really? Can we really see Philbin bringing in Green Beckham with knowing that all these things are going to be following him there? I honestly don't. I wish I could say that Philbin can get over himself and bring in this possibly uh, Megatron-esque player who quite honestly could become the next Megatron. And, oh, my God, wouldn't Tannehill like to have <laughs> someone like that? But Jalen Strong is the – go ahead. I was say, here's the thing about Doyle Green Beckham, and I, I, I did this comparison on the side uh, in a comment, is he's 6'5", 237, ran a 4'49". But by comparison, if you look at Jalen Strong's numbers, put them up at least the athletic numbers. He had, they had, both had the same size hands, nine-inch hands, which is kind of small for guys of that size, but whatever. Um, uh, uh, let's see. Strong had the faster 40 time. He outjumped him in the broad jump and had, uh, I think, Green Beckham had a 36 vertical, whereas his is 42. Now, I mean, those are <laughs> kind of irrelevant numbers, but my point toward that was I was like, you know, all these fans are talking about, oh, let's get Dory Green Beckham and Dory Green Beckham, and I have no problem with that. If, if the Dolphins get him, I will. you will not hear a peep out of me about it. But for all of that stuff you were just talking about with the off-the-field issues and all of that stuff, you can get what is arguably an equal, if not better, athlete who is just as, who is a big guy, big target at 6'2", with an equal good-sized catch radius, equal good-sized catch radius, and doesn't have the off-the-field issues and good work ethic. Hang on just one second. Oh, man. Jalen Strong is not getting comparisons to Calvin Johnson. So that's, that's the thing that's keeping Green Beckham on a lot of boards because some people have told me that his, his, uh, Green Beckham's football IQ is, almost, is close to nothing. Uh, his overall IQ apparently is close to nothing. And uh, some people have brought up concerns that the kid is shaking like a leaf during his press conference at the Combine. It's like – uh well, I don't really I don't really see that and even if he were, I don't blame him because every, I I watched that press conference when on the St. Louis Rams website and there was not there was like maybe one question out of the 20 plus that they asked him that actually had something to do with football. I mean, give the kid a break. He wants to move on. You guys are the ones bringing it back and shoving it in his face. If you want if he wants to move on and he's trying to make himself a better person, why do you keep bringing his past up to him? And you are here at the combine to watch him work out for football, not giving him a not not sitting him down in a psychiatrist chair and seeing what makes him tick. I mean, come on, man, give him a break. I, uh, yeah, I agree. I feel bad for him, especially if he's that nervous when he's up there. But I also understand that teams are are grilling him and the media is grilling him because someone's going to entrust that guy with a lot of money. And I mean, and you brought it up. We, we've talked about this multiple times over the past couple of days and really the past week. It's a risk. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You bring that guy in, uh, you're rolling the dice or you could, you could end up with a guy who's 
just unbelievably talented and just dominant on the field. Or, I mean, I, I apologize for the comparison because I don't think he's this bad, but I'll, in terms of talent, I, I would use this comparison. Or you end up with Lawrence Phillips, you know, a guy who was just an incredible player but just couldn't behave himself, you know, one way or another. It was just always a problem with that guy. So I understand both sides of it. And I have to say that I like Doriel Green Beckham. I love the idea of Brian Tannehill throwing to him. But I saw enough from Jalen Strong last weekend to say that, if, I mean, it would be great if the Dolphins, in theory, could could trade down a little bit and then get him. That would make me happy. But seeing how Dennis Hickey is going to pursue this the, the way he sees fit, and if he likes the guy, it's not going to matter much where he's at. I can see Jalen Strong being that pick. And from watching him play this season and uh, his time in college, I'm okay with that. I think that guy is a phenomenal talent. And I agree that he's not getting the, the Calvin Johnson comparisons. But anyway, I, I don't know if uh, my expectations are so high that I need Calvin Johnson at 14. I, I need a guy who's going to dominate the red zone and is going to really bring something to this offense that it doesn't currently have. And it does not have a player like Jalen Strong. Yeah, and well, look, at, look, at, look at all the touchdowns that Mike Wallace scored this year. Look at all the types that, that they used him on. It, it is Jalen Strong a guy who could replace Wallace in that regard for those type of routes? And I believe he is. You know, that, and that's a lot to ask of a rookie. But at the same time, I mean, just like I said, look at look at those types of routes. Um, I'm trying to like that one in Chicago that uh, you know the back corner of the end zone. You know, that was a great pass from Tannehill, but you got to consider the margin for error with a guy like Wallace is a lot smaller than it is with a guy like Strong just because of the catch radius. So, I mean, even though that was a perfect pass, Tannehill could have thrown that up, you know, even higher or whatever else away from the defender to get to a guy like Jalen Strong. You know, he's going to have to learn to, to win on those types of routes, but I think he's a guy that by week 17, you I think fans will be saying, yeah, that's the guy. And in this offense where, and I think in this offense where that that's the problem. I have, another problem I have with signing, you know, expensive free agents, especially at wide receivers. We're going to spread the ball around. I mean, we've seen it in three three years with Tannehill and Philbin that you're not going to get a guy that's going to get more than about 80 catches. You're not going to get that guy who's going to get 120, 130 catches. I mean, Mike Wallace, <coughs> excuse me, he had 115 targets. I mean, if you look at uh, Hartline, who was the most targeted guy in the past couple of years, he, he was around you know, 120, 130 targets at the most or something like that, somewhere in that range. So you're not going to get this guy who's going to get 120 catches or something simply because we're going to spread the ball around, especially if we re-sign a guy like Charles Clay and add Deion Sims into it. Um, you know, you're going to have those guys, a couple of, rece- a couple of other receivers. So, you know, you're going to have, you know, spread the ball around. So don't don't pay a lot of money to a guy who wants the ball a lot. You know, find these guys that work in your offense that, you know, you're happy with catching 70 to 80 balls a year. And, uh, you know, I think by the end of the season, people will be happy with Jalen Strong getting somewhere like 80 catches, 1,100 yards, and 8 to 10 touchdowns. That's why I said I I wouldn't be hurt. I wouldn't be hurt if Jalen Strong was the pick. At this point, I'm saying – 
I trust in the Silver Fox. Let's see what he can do. If he's the if he's if he's somebody who can get Jonathan Martin for a seventh round draft pick, then by all means, <laughs> let this man take control of the roster and let's see what happens. And that's that note, that being right. like I think uh, one pick one pick lower than where we were going to pick anyway. So, all right, we've got uh, got about thirty five minutes left, so we'll give a. Uh, one more chance for for anyone to go ahead and give us a call three four seven three two six nine four six one. I haven't been able to get any callers the past two weeks, or actually I should say the past two shows because I didn't have a show last week. I think people are mad at me, or they miss Kevin. I'm not really sure. We need to get is, Kevin back in here. I need to, uh, yeah, I need to go ahead and uh, try to worm my way back into the the heart of uh, Dolphins fans, Dolphins fans everywhere. Uh, one thing that I'd like to perhaps touch upon, because I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking about Jalen Strong, which is fine with me because I think that that guy would be a very important part of our, our going forward. A uh, free agency is going to obviously take place before the, the draft. So one thing I'd like to ask you guys, uh, who are your big targets coming up here? Is there anyone you have your eye on? I mean, within reason, obviously, most people say, but is there a guy you think that, we've been talking a lot about the draft and how we can use that to improve the team, but what can we find in free agency that would that would serve to a similar effect? I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with lines. Um, I think, I, I would say, I would go with a, a better one tech on the defensive line. A guy like Terrence Knighton, Dan Williams, someone along of, of that ilk. Uh, and of course, I'm assuming we resigned Jared Audrick. Um, but I hope so. you, you, you add, you've got Audrick and Mitchell as your three techs, bringing that guy to run stuff in one tech. Uh, on the offensive line, I would go with Orlando Franklin. If he gets, if he gets out of Denver, he'd be an ideal sign because he can immediately step in, play left guard. You're set there. Um, but he also has experience at tackle, so if you had an injury again, he's a guy that could fill in at probably right tackle. And, you know, you, you've got some versatility and some depth there. So those are the two guys that I'll be uh, – well, the two positions I would like to see Miami address mainly in free agency. I'd rather go after David Harris in a, in a possible inside linebacker, which you know, that would be another ideal thing to to do in a sense so that you don't have to use a draft pick on, on, on that. But I think if you went with David Harris, they would probably end up, you know, drafting a guy later just to kind of develop behind him as opposed to I think the other guy that I saw was Mason Foster, who's like 25. So if you if you sign him, you're not going to a draft replacement. But, um, yeah, those, those are the two positions. Let's build your lines up this year uh, in free agency and uh, go back to playmakers in the draft. How about you, Lewis? Um, I don't know, man. Personally, playmakers in the draft are a great idea. As, as far as I'm concerned, that's the way we need to go moving forward. Take Jalen Strong, take uh, Devontae Parker, Green Beckham. There's the, the talent level of this draft at this point, the highest point is in the wide receiver position, and that's why I feel like we need to go there in the first round. Um, and I'm going to take a look at this because we, we have, we're, we're forgetting, I think a little bit that 
there's other positions that people are going to go for. Not everybody in the NFL is going to pick a wide receiver to go first. And there's like, there's maybe there's four really good wide receivers that we can grab in the first round. Tampa Bay is probably going to pick Jameis Winston. That much is done. Okay. So 13, one down 13 to go. Somebody along the line is going to pick either Kevin White and Amari Cooper. So that's one down and 12 and we need a 12 to go. And you can see it going on from there. Somebody's going to pick a Vic Beasley, a defensive end. There's going to be um, somebody picking a Danny Shelton or something like that, or Jordan Phillips. Or so, <laughs> not everybody's going to be picking a wide receiver. So it's likely that we're going to have somebody like um, a Dev- at least a Devonte Parker, because again, not everybody's going for wide receiver unless they really are picking best player available. I will say this in passing, however, that if the Dolphins go with Trey Waynes at 14, I will be very upset because, like I said, I'm in the Jamar Taylor camp, and the the whole idea of picking Trey Waynes because he's the best cornerback in the draft, supposedly, that would just make me sick to my stomach because there are so many players at different positions that are way better overall players than just Trey Waynes. I mean, come on, man. Pick a wide receiver. There, Even Jalen Strong, who's supposed to be like a second-rounder in a lot of people's eyes, I think I would pick him over Trey Wayne. It's funny to me. Um, during uh, the Finsiders, uh, t- they talked to Todd McShay, who actually said that Trey Wayne's was not worth a first-round pick at all. He should be somewhere in the top of the second round. Nevertheless, at that point in time, McShay's mock draft had us picking Trey Wayne's at 14. So I'm like, okay, you just said that you don't think he's worth a first-round pick, but you're going to have us pick him anyway. So the irony there was not lost on me. No, I was talking about that today, how his picks and Kuiper's picks, too, are oftentimes like just a complete middle finger to the Dolphins. I I got tired, or I pretty much wrote those guys off for good in terms of their selections when uh, didn't Kuiper for all of 2011 have us taken Mark Ingram? Like, he refused to back off that pick. It was relentless, and it was terrible. Whereas I think Mick Shea early on had us taken uh, – Mike Pouncey, so at least he had that. Uh, so Zach on Twitter said that Jalen Strong reminds him of Alton <laughs> Jeffrey. I would agree with that. And I live in Chicago, Sounds so I'm very, I am very, very familiar with Alton Jeffrey. He is, he is well celebrated in these parts. So, uh, oh boy, yeah, I understand the whole thing about receiver paranoia and how everyone thinks that both guys are just going to fly off the shelf in the first round. You know, it obviously, I don't mean to be the master of the obvious, but it comes down to a few teams in, in that bunch between, you keep seeing that the Giants are going to take a receiver. I don't know if they do that again, although I didn't I didn't think they'd take uh, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. last year, so that was a surprise. Maybe they surprise again. I saw St. Louis is starting to get a lot of attention in terms of potentially taking a receiver. I think McShay's latest mock had them fit. Was it Amari Cooper? He had going to St. Louis. Which will, which will, I guess, benefit Amari Cooper when St. Louis moves to Los Angeles and he's able to play out there. So, uh, I don't know. The the teams you're seeing right now in that bunch that everyone has agreed on taking a receiver has been Minnesota. I think they pick at 11 and Cleveland at 12. The thing about Cleveland, though, is that they also pick at 19, I believe. So... Yeah, they have they have they've had first picks coming out of their ears for the past couple of years. Yeah. So with that, 
do you take, if you're Cleveland, and I, I realize this is a Dolphins show, but this is something that's going to affect Miami, so I don't have a problem bringing this up. If you're Cleveland at 12, do you take the receiver there, or do you take, because, I mean, they have other needs there. Like, what if Danny Shelton falls? Because they, they do need work on the on the interior defensive line. Cleveland needs yeah. everything. And they do. They're Cleveland. By the way, what was up with the – they made it seem like it was going to be this huge uniform helmet logo redesign. Oh, brother. It was just brother. a different shade, different shade of color. That was it. It's dressed blue and gold, blue and black, or white and gold. Unbelievable. I saw that I, it, because I'm somewhat colorblind. And at first it came up, and I was like, I, I think it's a different shade of orange, but I'm not sure. So, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a different shade of orange, but really it's a, it's a waste of time. The, the, the logo didn't change at all. It's just a different color orange. It's, it's, I, I think that was just the, the Cleveland organization trolling their fan base. It's like, oh, by the way, we're not going to use Johnny Manziel after all. Let's draft Marcus Mariota, which actually might be that a better a, choice. But That was but a, a pick that I did not understand at the time. And I really felt like NFL Network jumped the shark last year during their coverage of the uh, opening night of the draft. When any time someone – there was a trade or any time someone was on the phone longer than – or a team was on this the phone This is for Johnny Manziel right here. Yes, Exactly. But I expect that from ESPN. I remember because uh, I went over to my cousin-in-law's to watch the um, the 2013 draft, and that was uh, when everyone was like, "Is this is this where Manti Teo goes?" Every time I, I when Minnesota traded back in, I think it was for Cordero Patterson, but everyone was like, "Is this where they take Manti Teo?" And of course, it wasn't. And you just think like this is ridiculous. They're literally trying to force this narrative down my throat. And I expected better from NFL Network, and they did the same thing last year with Johnny Manziel. And they had Mike Mayock doing it. I wonder if they had a gun to his head. <laughs> I didn't understand that at the time. I was like, Mike, you're better than this. You, you stay away from Twitter. You don't want to do Twitter because it's, it's commercial and you feel it's beneath you, which it probably is. So that killed me. I really hated that, and especially because we, we all knew that what was going to happen. Johnny Manziel was going to come in, and it's like that one part in the Water Boy when the University of Michigan they have it on ESPN or Sports Center. They said the University of Michigan tried to bring in their towel boy or equipment boy or whatever, and then you see him, he gets like clothesline. He's he's like pretty much decapitated on the field. <laughs> he's just destroyed. And you saw a similar thing when Johnny Manziel came in, and Cincinnati ate him alive. It just just beat him mercilessly, and then every time getting up and doing the money sign, of course. So Why I, not? Yeah, I, it's well-deserved. I was talking about this with a, with a couple of people the other night, and I mean, he, that guy uh, ha- had all of that coming, so it's hard for me to feel bad for him. And it's hard for me to understand how, how you can look at that as Cleveland Browns brass and think, yeah, this is something that we're going to build around. No, it's not. Yeah. You'll be lucky. I mean, you're going to have that guy in a wheelchair if, if you, number one, don't get him better protection. Number two, find a way so he's not escaping the pocket all the time. Because uh, that was where you took some of, the, some of his hardest hits in that game. So, I don't know. That's yeah. not about Cleveland, but... It wasn't about Cleveland. It was about Johnny Manziel. Anytime somebody brings up Johnny Manziel, we're just talking about Johnny. We're not talking about the Browns. 
With that said, I'm glad he went into rehab and is working on fixing his problems. Good for you, Johnny. I'm glad. I really am for you. But don't expect me to root for you anytime soon. I would be horrified if he was listening to this show, just so you know. Yeah, I don't think he's uh, listening to this show. Yeah, that's okay. He's not a he's not a fan of the show. Uh, <laughs> we have this new thing that I've been toying with called the uh, the lightning round, where I was going to go ahead and ask you guys uh, just a simple question, and you can give me a simple answer. It could be a yes or no, or if it's not a yes or no question, just something something short and to the point. So, yeah, I'm game. Uh, Let's go for it. Who wants to start? I can't see you raising you your hand. First. You're just happy. Alright, let's go. The one player the Dolphins must sign in free agency. The one corner? The one player. Oh, the one player. Uh, Orlando Um, You asking like a re-sign or just any free agent? Uh, it doesn't matter. It could be someone who's not on the roster right now. It could be someone who's already on the roster. It doesn't matter. The guy that they have to sign in free agency. Um, I'm going to go with Charles Clay. Interesting. All right, within reason, the perfect player for the Dolphins at the number 14 spot in this year's draft. Perfect player? I guess Jalen Strong. Yeah, one of those receivers. All right. Cop out. Yeah, that's okay. The most underrated I mean, if player. They, if, they took, if they took Devontae Parker over Jalen Strong, I, I'm not going to be upset with that either. Oh, certainly not. I mean, I mean if Devontae Parker, Parker like falls to – because, I mean, Devontae Parker yeah, is – Yeah, Parker comes, yeah, set. but you said within reason, so. No, that's fine. But, I mean, he is – I've seen people say that if anyone's going to get to number 14, it's probably going to be him. And, I mean, what a what a gift that would be. To have have a choice of Devontae Parker and then a couple of other guys because Devontae Parker has that that sort of post up game in the red zone. I mean, and that's why we're hyping up Jalen Strong so much because he, I mean, that's just in his DNA. That's part of his game, and Devontae Parker's got that too. You know, so I, I, that's just something I'm not going to say no to if it's if it's something that's on our doorstep at number fourteen. But I don't want to get my hopes up either because he could go much earlier than that. <laughs> All right. Uh, the most underrated player in the 2015 NFL draft. Mm-hmm. That's a tough one. I'm I asking. You go ahead, Duke. You go ahead, Duke. This isn't my thing. I'm thinking about you it. Think. think faster. Um... Uh, there's a guy on my mind, and I cannot think. Uh, I'll go with one. I, not really necessarily underrated, but I'm going to go with John Miller from Louisville. I watched him in the East-West Shrine game, and I think he's going to be a starting guard in the NFL for several years. He's not getting a lot of uh, – he's not a guy that's just going to hear about a lot, and maybe this position doesn't make him necessarily underrated, but I think he's a guy that's probably going to go later than he should, and, and sometimes going to be happy with him at right guard for – you know, 10, 12 years. No, uh, for me. How okay. about you, Lewis? Uh, you know what? Just 
Is he the only guy I can think of right now? I guess I'm not a guy per se. I'm going to go with Sam Coates because despite by his dropping issues, I mean, Wallace had issues, but we can work around that for some reason. So I don't see why we can't grab Sammy Coates if he's available in the second round and we pick something else in the first. Like, we at least have a chance for a good receiver. Can't disagree with that. How about the most overrated player in this year's draft? Marcus Mariota. Oof. <laughs> That's not very nice. <laughs> they always overrate the quarterbacks. They do. I, I don't know if I disagree. That's that's the thing that's really upsetting. Who 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 expected who who was tired of Johnny Manziel being overrated? I rest my case. Yeah, but I don't want to see anyone pile drive Marcus Mariota the way I wanted to see somebody deliver a. I don't know, just insert your favorite WWF finishing move yeah, on Johnny Manziel, and I would have been okay with it. Give him the tombstone. <laughs> like, too bad, man. Jameis Winston's going to go first, and then we're going to hear about when's Marcus Mariota going. <laughs> I'm going to go with the guy you talked about earlier, and that's Trey Waynes. Oh, oh you, you guys are uh, birds of a feather there. That's I mean, funny. I mean, I, I, was stuff, I was reading stuff on the site from fans long before this process even started, and they were like, yeah, I don't know that I'd want that guy on my team. So, you know, I, I mean, I know we're in fast, fast 40 and all that stuff, but a lot of stuff I'm reading is basically like he, he he's kind of like the quarterback from the 2011 draft. Cornerback class is kind of weak, and he's the best of, of a weak bunch, so it's kind of like, you know, just because he's the best of a weak bunch doesn't mean he's going to be great anyway. So, yeah, I just think he's a little overrated at this point. The world's tallest midget argument. Yeah. Interesting. I will say that I, I don't think it does him justice to, to say he ran a fast 40. I mean, you saw him run that thing, right? Like, I, I mean, it was like he kept accelerating. I mean, I don't know if you want to – there's plenty of ways to describe it. Some people call it the fifth gear. Some people call it, like, uh, you know, top-end uh, burst. That's a popular one. But, I mean, he definitely, man, he rolled through that thing. I don't know. Uh, I'm undecided on him because I don't dislike him. I mean, there's, I mean, he's not a, I mean, I thought he played with good technique. He's not like a uh, a technique wonder kind or anything. It's not like he comes in there and it's just like for the next 60 minutes. So, do you, I, have I mean, the, I do you agree with the, Keith, guys, do you, do, do, you, a guy, do you guys agree with the criticism lately that he has tight hips? I would say he looked tight in in the way that he he turned at the at the combine. Yes. Then I don't want to. If, if, <laughs> if, if Vontae Davis had tight hips at the combine too, just so you know. So okay. I remember that was, that was a conversation I had with people, and I mean that just never ended. Because <laughs> I I was a fan of Vontae Davis probably. I was interested in the Dolphins drafting him probably around like October 2008 because that was when I discovered um, ESPN's uh, like draft, you know, their their top 25 draft board. I think it might, yeah, it's top 25. And I remember he was like number two on that thing. He was just uh, behind uh, Matthew Stafford. And I was like, okay. And I remember watching him play because he played for the University of Illinois. And I thought, like, wow, this guy is outstanding. I just really, what a behavior case, which obviously um, had legs because there was um, some issues when he was with the Dolphins. So, anyway, 
that's enough with the reminiscing. Okay, this is my last one. Uh, Ryan Canhill over or under 40 touchdown throws in 2015. I don't see him getting 40, guys. No, sorry. What was the question? Uh, Tannehill over under 40 touchdown throws next season. I'm going to go under because it's pretty high total. Um, pretty I mean, touchdown elite numbers. I mean, if you said 35, I would probably, I might have gone with an over, but with 40, that's a little much for me. I was 40 is a little much for a lot of people. Not everyone. Nah, well, Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. Give him a break. Well, I it's important to note that you saw a general decline in uh, in touchdown throws last year because Rodgers had what thirty eight. I want to say, and that's a down year. Well, considering a couple of years prior, there <laughs> you had what three guys who were in the mid to high forties. You got I mean, and you saw the yardage back off too. I remember a couple of years ago when you had uh, I think Matthew Stafford threw five thousand yards or something close to it, some insane amount. Obviously, they weren't running the ball much, but you saw those totals really back off this year. So you had Rodgers, and Rodgers didn't lead the lead in touchdown passes, but yeah, I think he had thirty-eight. I think I think he went thirty-eight and five. He had five picks. Just impressive. But I think Tony Romo only had nine interceptions. Yeah, I mean, don't quote me on that, but I, I'm fairly certain it was it was single digits for him, and I understand he missed a few games, but for that guy, that's still impressive. Tony Romo is what Ryan Tannehill might become once he has an offensive line. Eight and eight, eight and eight, eight and eight is not a coincidence. And then once the offensive line was elitified, I guess I'll use that term. I just made it up. Once that, once they got elite. They got over the hump. That's not a coincidence. Give Tannehill an offensive line and see what happens. I mean, it really is that simple to me. Give him a weapon like Dez. Give him an offensive line like the Cowboys. And we're going places. Done. He's got mobility. Tannehill can run. He just doesn't. He's Tannehill can run. That's not an issue. He needs to run more. I said, he needs I said to get. He needs to. I don't. I don't look at Tony Romo and think like, oh man, that guy's going to escape the pocket. Especially not now with the package that he's got. Yeah, Romo well, not late in the year. Well, his back is thrown not. out, so. Yeah, well, like I said, once the, the back issue set in, he, he he really lacked any sort of mobility, and you saw that really hurt him, especially in that game against Green Bay uh, in the playoffs. Because it's whenever the, the pocket caved in on him, like, he just had nowhere to go. So. Okay, I gotta ask this question real quick, guys. Was it catch? Hmm. Uh. Well. No. And that hurts me to say because I thought it was an incredible. I knew as soon as like he didn't control it going to the ground that it was going to be an issue. But my the problem I had with that rule is that it's not like he caught it and just went to the ground. He caught it. He made a move going forward, stretching for the boundary. And not only that, um, I'm trying to. Uh, there's a, one other point I was going to make there, and then I got whole lost in it because it just annoys the crap out of me that that wasn't a catch. It's a bad rule. <laughs> that rule. That rule needs to be amended. Because I mean, we, I saw it. 
Well, they need to be able to review whether or not, you know, the football move was made because I saw a similar play in 2012. Um, it was actually against the Dolphins. Um, Stevie Johnson caught a pass, beat Sean Smith down the sideline, laid out for a pass. It was like he took another step and dove for the end zone, and the ball hit the ground, and they ruled it was incomplete. And if you, I went back and watched that play, I don't know how many times, and I don't know how they possibly could have ruled that an incompletion. Um, it was not like he caught it and the ball hit the ground or his diving motion. He caught the ball and then laid out. But because he hit the ground and the ball came out, it was, you know, it was more of a fumble than anything. But I don't know. That, that rule, just, they need to work on it. I really, I hate, I'm going to be, I'm going to be really insensitive to you now, guys, because I'm going to say, whether it was a catch or not, I don't care. <laughs> really, I don't care. And the reason I don't care is because of Skip Bayless and his cowboy-loving self. Sorry. I just, it's like, I was so happy when that wasn't a catch because I knew I was going to get to see Stephen A. Clown Skip all day long. I, I wish somebody would clown both of them. Both guys are just such a, such a, collective disservice to to sports panel shows and sports journalism and, and everything. In fact, I blame those guys for the modern uh, the modern trend of these writers really making themselves a part of the story. Like their their ego gets in the way. And the, the number one rule of journalism is you write the news. You don't make it. That's the first thing they teach you. And, the, I mean, all you hear about is how those guys make the news. I mean, whether it's Skip Bayless saying that Troy Aikman's gay, putting it in a book, I think, and that and that was 20 years ago. Or, yeah, Stephen A. Smith who comes out and says all these outlandish things. How about just putting some opinions out there that are that are actually decent, that are actually fair and accurate, instead of it's just making Stephen everything about yourself? Yeah. I've yeah, listened to Stephen A. more than there's some uh, Miami beat writers that uh, need to listen to this with a side eye glance at a couple of them. I have no idea who you're <laughs> talking about. Um, yeah, it's I'm just giving you a issue. blank stare, Duke. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, that's his situation. Oh, I'm sorry. Person X. Their situation <laughs> isn't unique. I mean, this is something you see everywhere. But the good, the good ones get it. And they don't get involved in this kind of stuff. Write the news. Write something thought-provoking. You know, go ahead and put out a story about a sports angle that we're not seeing everywhere else. That's great. But when you get in there and you make the news and you talk about, you know, I, I'm so incredibly proud of myself. And your stories are really just you patting yourself on the back. And I mean, you can, if you're wondering who I'm re- referencing here, I mean, you can take your pick. I mean, Rick Riley with Sports Illustrated became an incredibly self-congratulatory thing at one point, and, which was too bad because he's an outstanding writer. She's just fantastic. But, I mean, he got sucked into that whole thing, that whole almost ESPN-type mentality where it's it's not enough that you're reporting the news. you got to make it interesting. It's like network, a film, taking over ESPN and just completely perverting the sports journalism industry as a whole. It's just been a poison. And it it sucks because, I mean, there are some guys out there, uh, these writers, and I I sometimes think, you know, how did you get that job? 
you know, there are people out there, there are hungry college graduates who could just completely uh, just take you to school in, in terms of, of writing ability, ability to report things, ability to communicate. But it, so, I mean, it doesn't really bother me that much when those guys get out there and do the ESPN way of reporting. I expect that. But when the really good guys do it, that bothers me. Because I feel like they're few and far between now. So I mean, when you do when you do find these writers, you got to hang on to them or follow them until they jump the shark. Whatever. Anything else you guys want to talk about in the remaining few minutes we have here in tonight's show? No, not really. I well, think we covered I'll... just about everything there is. Well, speaking of no, shark, no. they're making Sharknado three. I haven't seen Sharknado two. Oh Lord, you are letting out. I mean, I've seen Sharknado 1, and, and yes, it was a a, um, a pinnacle moment in modern cinema. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. It was fantastic. And what really put it out over the top is that uh, Tara Reid was a part of it, and her acting um, takes a backseat to no one. <laughs> yeah, here's my question whatever. with Sharknado. So, I mean, when they were playing this movie... Best they could really do, Steve from nine hundred two one zero. Is it? Is, is that your? That's really your lead guy. I mean, do, doesn't Steven Seagal make movies like this now? All this stuff is straight to video. I don't really understand. I mean, and uh, please don't play this for Steven Seagal because I mean he will beat my ass. I mean. He's in, uh, I wouldn't mess. I wouldn't I mess with that guy. I see Will Wheaton in Sharknado Three. I hope so. Wesley Crusher deserves uh, deserves some uh, additional fanfare. <laughs> All right. So we were talking about Sharknado, which means that we really need to hang this one up now because that's pathetic. <laughs> we'll have more stuff to talk about next week, I'm sure. All right. Yeah. Well, it, thank you for uh, kind of jumping in last minute and agreeing to co-host with uh, Duke and myself. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. I did indeed. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So, um, we'll. Uh, I don't foresee any cancellations coming up here. So, uh, for everyone listening, we will be back uh, same time next week, um, talking about the same ridiculous things. I'm sure. So, uh, until then. Uh, for my co-host, Duke, and our special guest tonight, Lewis. Uh, I'm Keith, and uh, we'll see you next week. Good night. Good night. Good night. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. 
Get your back-to-school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back-to-school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Support for Pivot comes from Polestar. At Polestar, every inch of every vehicle they design is thoughtfully made. They're made to transform auto performance, accelerating from 0 to 60 in less than 4.2 seconds with fully electric all-wheel drive. They're made to elevate the driving experience with LED headlights and a panoramic glass roof. And they're made to uphold a greater responsibility to the planet using sustainable materials and energy-saving systems. The result is a car that combines the best of today with the technology of tomorrow. Pure performance, pure design, Polestar. Design yours and book a test drive today at polestar.com.